Welcome to The Nature Photographer on Wild and Exposed, your source for the behind-the-scenes secrets of today's top photographers working in wildlife, conservation, and fine arts. The Nature Photographer is produced in collaboration with NANPA, the North American Nature Photography Association. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to another episode of the Nature Photographer podcast brought to you by NAMPA and Wild and Exposed. So today we're going to do another short episode where we answer one of our listener questions. And to answer those questions, we have um, myself, I'm Don Wilson, the president of NAMPA, as well as Jason Loftus, Ron Hayes, and Mark Raycroft from Wild and Exposed. So Ron, I believe you have today's question for us. Yeah, this question actually came in off of Instagram. And it is from Bronson. Instagram is Bron underscore son, S-O-N underscore M. And uh, Bronson asks, with these new newer mirrorless cameras like the R5, Sony A1, and A7R4, do you guys still use single point autofocus and anticipate the location of the animal's eye to get quick shots during behavior? Also, for Jason, this is a two-parter, sorry. Also for Jason, did you have autofocus trouble uh, that many had with the A7R4 and the 200-600 combo? Thanks, Bronson, for your question. What do you guys think? So how many, first of all, how many have experience with a mirrorless system? Is it just Jason and I, or Don, have you? I have not <laughs> used a mirrorless yet. I am waiting on Nikon's new mirrorless camera that they just announced. It's... That's kind of the one I'm, I'm eager to look at next year. Let's when go, Nikon! <laughs> so in the meantime, uh, I'll be happy using my D850, but, but I am eager to see what that Z9 is going to do and what it's going to be capable of accomplishing. I just, for the first time in my life, cried sending a package in the mail. You didn't. You, I did. No, you, why? I why? sold my D850. Why? That question may haunt me. <laughs> um, I don't know if I could bring myself to do it. But I, yeah, I've I've committed to it. I've committed to the R5 and right around the videos, Unreal. So, yeah, we'll get to Bronson's question in just a second. But I did I shed a little tear. Look forward <laughs> to our trips, hopefully this fall together. Mr. White camera equipment. And it's not. It's all camouflage. Hopefully. Okay, <laughs> well, I'm hoping Nikon has it by fall. We've talked mirrorless for two years on our podcast. Started with Fuji. Amazing stuff, what mirrorless will do. It's just that big hang-up of commitment of either switching brands and buying other lenses to make it work or waiting for the brand you own. And honestly, I mean, I've been Nikon for 30 years I've had no regrets, but the mirrorless so far hasn't been enough to make me switch from the 850 to a Nikon mirrorless. And I'm craving that video capability, that that handheld capability that we can get short clips with mirrorless. I, I can't wait to play that game. And I came close. I mean, our listeners know we've talked about R5s and, and Canon so much and and you both picked up the R5s and, and for the most part seemed to be loving it. And I thought about doing that and, and picking up the telephoto that 
came out was it, uh, one to one to six is no, one to five no, one, one to five hundred mm-hmm. and i knew people who picked that up right away and were liking it but i was hearing rumors just not rumors whispers i was hearing whispers that the nikon d850 still had what was or is one of the best sensors out there so i haven't made the leap because i didn't want to buy other brands just out of curiosity speaking of other brands do you know who makes yeah. those nikon sensors yes sony <laughs> but the point is no <laughs> the point is it's in the 850 and for dynamic range and color i hear so many serious photographers sending speaking high high praise of the d850 sensor made by sony so I just haven't had enough reason to switch. I'd love to play with the 500 PF lens on a mirrorless camera that Nikon has. I'd love to try the R5, but it's just not the right combination. And again, the final final answer for my excuse for not being mirrorless is it's been limited travel and no reason to really jump big into it yet. Uh, that That will hopefully change this year. And as Don mentioned, which we are fingers crossed is accurate there'll be some more exciting news from nikon this year who knows they got a long list of new lenses coming out i mean that's it's impressive if that's true all these ones coming out so what kind of package can we carry into the field come october 2021 i don't know hopefully it's not just a quote-unquote development announcement and that never develops yeah, no, yeah, it's, again, they've, they have a solid track record. These times are unprecedented, um, but Nikon, sure. Nikon has had a solid product throughout my career, and, and not knocking any other company, I've just been personally very happy with everything from the film cameras through four generations of mirrorless, and not mirrorless, <laughs> digital, <laughs> <laughs> You know, and I, I'm looking for. I hope they pull it, pull it off, and I hope this next announcement is significant, as significant as Canon's. Props to Canon with the R5 last year. I hope Nikon. I hope this can be Nikon's year. But as to today's question, I I can't speak to to mirrorless that way. So I will hand the baton to you guys. <laughs> and I think to to clarify, what Bronson's actually talking about is the capability of. Um, animal tracking or animal IAF and do we use that now over the single point focus that we all used in uh, when you're shooting a DSLR Um, and uh, Jason's got experience with two systems with the Sony and the Canon Sony was the first one to come out with it Canon followed up and whether it's as good, not as good, I think with some firmware updates, they're, they're probably pretty close to even playing field now. Uh, there are some problems with both of those systems though. I think in that it depends on the type of animal you're photographing. Um, if you could see us right now, this is just an audio short, but if you could see us, Don's got grizzly bears and Mark has got a caribou behind him in the background and grizzly bears moose well bears of any kind because their eyes are small and their eyes are dark um and often it's it's hard to actually get those eyes to pop or to get a catch light on a bear because their eyes are small relative to the size of their body so those cameras or the focus systems don't necessarily pick up on those uh, bear eyes 
or a moose with dark eyes, dark face, an elk with dark face, dark eyes, it has a little bit of trouble with them. So often I will still use a single point. I'll still move it around the frame. You, The advantage to these new systems is you can pretty much go edge to edge where, you know, like the, the D850 and um, even the, the 1DX up to the Mark II, you couldn't quite get edge to edge with that focus point. So your composition, you sometimes had to fudge a little bit and then crop to where you actually wanted to be. But the mirrorless systems, and Jason can speak to the Sony, I can't, but I under, as I understand, it almost goes edge to edge. Is that correct, Jason? Yeah. Yep. Um, so you have a little bit more flexibility in your composition uh, just by moving that single point around. And the other advantage with the mirrorless is it's not one click at a time. If you hold that joystick down, it'll shoot clear across the the viewfinder to the opposite side, so it doesn't take you any time at all to to recompose. Now, I think, um, well, Jason, first of all, mm-hmm. uh, go ahead and, and chime in. I, I want to clarify one thing, but just get your thoughts on that uh, focus follow or follow focus that the Sony and Canon cameras have. Yeah, so so I'll get right to his main question that he you know directed right to me because of the Sony A7R4 and the two to six hundred, and that was one of the things that I did have a challenge with. Matter of fact, it was such an issue for me that I basically shot my A7R4 like I shoot my Nikon D850. I was using the center point and I would move it around the screen, and very rarely was I successful using the um, animal tracking or the eye tracking. Um, the the nice thing about the even with the Sony. So even though a lot of times it wouldn't find the eye, it would a lot of times find the animal. Um, you know, it was fairly it was fairly good. Um, but I the example I use is like I'd be shooting an elk or something in the rut, and I'd have the sensor on the eye trying to find that eye, and then I I did catch it, so I'd back off and compose and shoot. And as long as I was holding that back button, and then once in a while though, if that elk had a black spot or something on its rump that the, the spot would jump from the eye to the rump on that spot on the rump because it looked more like an eye to the sensor. So, you know, far enough away may not be a problem. You're still probably going to get what you need in focus, but, you know, it just wasn't as accurate as I was expecting it to be. And some of the some of our friends, you know, Adam and Kate Rice, they shoot the Sony system. I talked to them after I'd sold my system, and they actually told me that that combination has had some problems um, with that very issue. Um, they told me I probably would have been much happier if I had had the A92 and the two to six hundred. That combo is very, you know, effective, and the tracking features were much more effective on the A92. Um, and now I will say that the things I've heard so far, the A1, the brand new camera that Nike or Sony just came out with, it's just an amazing camera all the way around. Um, I hear the eye tracking is just incredible. So. It really just comes down to how much money you have to spend. And, and the, really the question I would say is, you know, is the, if this is an issue of why you're going to mirrorless, I don't know that I'd let the animal or eye tracking be the only choice or the only reason to go to mirrorless. There's a lot of other benefits, in my opinion, of the mirrorless, such as, you know, you've heard you see what you get. Um, you know, it helps with your exposure. Um, you know, you can review your images in your viewfinder. Um, when you zoom in, you can see a lot more clearly, especially in a bright day or something. There's a lot of features about the mirrorless um, frame rates, things like that, you know, um, frames per second, sorry. So 
there's a lot of benefits to the mirrorless that's over and above just the animal tracking. But um, maybe I just, because I do have experience with the R5 too, um, I will say that I feel like the R5's eye tracking, um, barring any firmware updates that I've um, I'm, I, that I might be unaware of with the Sony, um, seems to be more accurate and more effective. And the way I shoot my R5 now is that I actually shoot with the main button being the center point and the shutter release as well. So I'm not using the back button. And then on the, when the times are right, or not, and I'll move my focus point if I need to. When the times are right, though, I will might have my back button set up for eye tracking. And if it's an animal that I know I can get the eye, I will use that back button and use the eye tracking and, re, and compose that way. So it's, it's actually kind of nice to have both options. And I found both to be fairly effective, you know, depending on the situation. Um, and I use that eye tracking quite a bit when I'm shooting birds in flight. And it's very, very effective and very accurate. So that's, I guess that's what I have to add. And Mark and Don can both chime into this because it's it's the same with DSLRs. The the reason that I don't rely specifically, and I, I will say for video, the um, the eye or the animal tracking works a lot better than for stills. But the same reason I don't rely on auto ISO, you know, to maintain exposure, is the reason that I don't rely on the auto eye tracking because sometimes the camera decides a little bit differently than what I would that jumping problem that you talked about jumping from the eye to the to the rump is a problem that I've had consistently uh, the camera chooses a blade of grass that might be waving in the wind because there's that motion rather than staying on the subject and you can adjust the sensitivity but I think you know, it's a, it's the same reason that we don't rely on auto exposure necessarily because I want to decide how I want the final image to look. I don't want to let the camera decide um, because as smart as these cameras are, we're still we're still controlling them. They are still just a tool. I feel much better yelling at myself for messing up a photo than blaming a camera that I feel is out of my control. So uh, yeah. <laughs> getting ready to throw a camera on the ground because it isn't doing what you want it to do. But when I get in the heat of the moment, I will say that I still use single point. And Jason and I went through, when we were in Yellowstone, we went through my menus and Jason kind of showed me some fine tuning on the menus that he had done. And that has made a tremendous difference as has updating firmware. Um, but I still like to control where that point is. And, and so I know exactly what it's going to be on at the, at the beginning of every encounter. Yeah, it's not, it's not good enough to rely on it a hundred percent. I would definitely agree with you. And, and my default is the single point center, mm -hmm. you know, I'm with you. Mark, you had something. Well, I was going to say it is pretty amazing where this technology is going and where, where it's, it's evolving. Going. I agree. And how quickly it's evolving. And nowadays with these computerized cameras, just to get firmware updates that can be such game changers instead of having to buy a whole new camera with the next generation, it's, you know, the idea of animal eye tracking was unheard of a few years ago. To have it where it's at already is exciting. And each... We don't know what's coming down the road. I, you know, there's just so many technological advances that are simplifying and improving 
the world of nature photography. Even even the post today, I mean, the updates on, you know, I was talking to my wife, we were in the office of editing, and the updates on Photoshop software programs. You know, we used to just buy the Photoshop, and you'd have that software. You might use it for a few years, and you'd wait, same idea with the cameras, you'd wait a couple generations of improvement to buy another one, but now we pay an annual fee. It costs more over the years, but then, you know, this past week there was an update that was significant to various components of Adobe Photoshop software. And it's improved things so much. And what we can do in post with digital images is just revolutionized the, well, the percentage of, of success is skyrocketed with what we can do with raw images now with post. So as far as animal eye tracking, it is a challenge I recognize, and not that I know firsthand, but from what I've heard from everybody because of vegetation, because of, you know, certain species causing difficulty at this point in time with this technology. But if you do have that high contrast and a very visible eye and um, a very talented waterfowl photographer friend of mine, Mike Bonds, he's been putting stuff on social media lately and he's shooting the R5 with waterfowl, with wood ducks and absolutely loving it, the results. So maybe it's a matter of, of what Ron was saying earlier and just recognizing with certain animals where there isn't that contrast or color variation it will provide a challenge at this point for that software to handle consistently and obviously go back to the single point focus but there will be opportunities where it will exponentially increase what we're able to capture i will say talking about that specific scenario that that you just mentioned mark birds in flight is where this thing excels because, I mean, if you get a bird flying, you get that point on them initially. So it, it's got something to lock onto, grab onto. Basically, all you've got to do is keep that thing in the frame where you'd like it in the frame. And that tracking software will nail it. It's unbelievable with birds in flight. It's it's amazing to me that, as, I mean, that's one of the more difficult things to, to master. But this is kind of made, it's kind of like a cheat code on a video game. You, you, all you have to do is keep it where you'd like it in the frame and, and you know you're going to have sharp images. And it's amazing to me that as difficult as that is with a, a DSLR, without that feature, that it actually loses focus on something as slow moving comparatively as a, as a moose. You know, just because it continually loses that eye. So yeah. Yeah, I think a dark moose eye on you know, yep. dark animals certainly does. Like you said, doesn't have that contrast. Mm -hmm. How does it handle? So you were saying that it does really well for birds in flight. And I'm thinking that that's more of a, a kind of parallel to where, where you are. How does it do with animals that are moving directly at you? Cause that's been another one. That's always been really hard to keep that plane of focus, you know, right at the eyes. Yeah. I haven't seen it have, many problems except for i mean the same low contrast animals or you know i had bighorn sheep that i was filming and they're walking through sagebrush because when they come off the the hillsides get down in that deep sage a lot of times it would jump uh, because it would catch the sage and you've got pretty much the same almost the same color and same contrast but when the sheep would go behind the sagebrush it would jump off now that is one of those things that when Jason helped me with the, the menu settings, 
we set it to very, you know, it's you can increase the speed of jumping from subject to subject. We took it almost all the, uh, in fact, I think we did take it all the way to zero. So that pretty much, once it locks onto a subject, it follows that subject, even though it goes behind, you know, an obstacle like a big sagebrush. Yeah. So that's. Yeah, I'd say if you have the R5 or if you're, you know, you're shooting one of those systems too, or if you're thinking about getting it, just know that that focus system is very finicky and it does need fine tuning, but don't give up on it. I mean, it that you can get it tuned in to where it's very, very effective. You just, there are so many little fine tuning options on that focus system that it's almost, it complicates it uh, quite a bit. That's the only thing I'd say is kind of frustrating, but I think they did it for the right reasons, just so you could, you literally can fine tune it to whatever style of shooting you want. Yeah. Um, so it's it's pretty amazing what they were able to do. Back to your point, Mark. I mean, and I'm and I'm with you. I, and I will back up what you said earlier. The D850, in in my opinion, is still still hands down. Now I don't know about the A1. I haven't seen or compared or heard about the A1. The A1 might be a game changer. But the up to the A1, the D850 is still hands down the best photography, you know, stills um, sensor out there on the market, in my opinion. Agreed. And I've heard a lot of people say that. And you can't beat the color, you can't beat the dynamic range. The R5 does not have the same color, does not have the same dynamic range, regardless of what they say. I've seen it time and time again in my images when I'm editing them. Um, and, and yeah, so I'm, I'm out there still holding on rooting for Nikon to come up with some too, because they've just, they've been able to figure out the right combination that makes, makes such an incredible camera and an incredible sensor. So hopefully they'll come up with something, but you know, mirrorless is the future. There's no question. Mm -hmm. The SLRs are going to be a thing of the past before long, as we all know. So very quickly. Well, hopefully, hopefully the marketing research and the marketing product managers at Nikon are taking all the bits and pieces from all the the other cameras that have already come out there and just said, all right, we're just going to answer all these questions and answer all these these obstacles that people are coming up against and see what we can come out with. So, Yeah. I think I heard that it was 60 megapixel or something, and I just I want to hear of all these great improvements. But when I hear a change to the sensor, I just I, I kind of tighten up a little bit. I'm like, <laughs> we can keep it at what, 45? That's what the 850 yep. is, right? 40, 45. <laughs> We can keep it at 45 if we can keep the color and dynamic range where it is. That's okay. Change yeah. everything else. When I hear <laughs> the sensors, a new design and a new size, I'm like, oh, well, did they keep that intact? Yeah. I mean, oh, I don't oh. know for a fact those are the megapixels. That's part of the rumor mill. But Well, anyway. and we know that the new sensor will be a Nikon sensor. So, you know, there's yeah, always that, too. It's not going to be like, Sony anymore. Yeah. I so. didn't realize that either. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah, this is going to be a Nikon sensor. I do remember reading that. Yeah, and the, the price tag, the rumors I've been hearing about the price tag scare me a little bit, too. So. Like the A1 range? Is that what we're hearing? Yeah. Because the A1 is up there, right? A1 six. It's about like a 1DX or, yeah, it's about like a 1DX Mark III. 6500. I heard as high as five figures. What? Really? Uh, I can't imagine that. I, I hope not. But yeah, somebody. It, if they, if it is, they better blow all of our shorts <laughs> off. <you know? laughs> That's Markle. what I mean. Product managers better be sitting there going, "All right, yep, we've got this and this and this and this." Mark will wow. still buy three of them. <laughs> no, I won't. No, absolutely. No, not. he'll buy one and then two used ones. 
yeah. you know, we <laughs> I'll be switching my game. Yeah. Obviously we're past April fool's day, but I, I mentioned this before and I want to just bring it back up because something that Mark mentioned, you know, who would have guessed that we'd have animal eye tracking in a camera. And I remember a few years ago, I don't know if you guys remember this, but Canon put out on April fool's day, they put out, they came out with a one DW, which was just a wildlife camera that, and the, it's 22 frames a second. It locked onto an animal's eye and never lost focus. Every spec that was on that and that everybody thought was so outlandish and knew immediately that this was an April Fool's joke because there's no possible way they can do this with a camera. Every spec that they had on that is now in a camera, whether it be, whether it be Sony, Canon, or Nikon. Crazy. Every one of those specs. And that just shows you how fast technology is changing and why, you know, Mark, we give him a hard time all the time about not jumping to uh, to the mirrorless system. But that's why yeah. you hang on because you don't know when that next jump is going to take place. Nope. Could be a month away. It's like old science fiction becoming science fact, right? Exactly. <laughs> You know, I find it interesting the different price points. They come out with seriously superb gear, cameras and lenses at low price point to target such a broad audience smartly. But then they come out. I'm hoping this Z9 isn't as expensive as Ron and as Don has heard it could be. You and me both. <laughs> yeah, but what was you know? I think what they came out with that was it the telephoto. The 180 to 400, is that what it was? Mm-hmm. For 15 grand or something? But yet you can buy two to 500 for 1500. That's professional glass. Now, again, no question, the more expensive one's going to be better housing. The glass will be better. But that much so that we really care as a professional? Personally, you know, I love the two to five. When you only gain 60 millimeters on the long end, right? When you activate mm-hmm. the teleconverter. Right. Sure. Yeah. So, and that's where there's so many things in post, sensor size, so many elements that can that change that parameter as well. So I'm a little concerned that this is going to be Nikon's flagship mirrorless camera. Exciting. Hopefully. Hopefully. But price point, they could do that to, to match, you know, this high-end game. And, and maybe this is their chance to get a lot of people to pay big money for camera body if it does add elements that are above everything else for this window, this period of time for this year. You know, I don't, it's, it, it's marketing, right? Jason speak to that. Don MBAs, you guys can speak to the, I mean, do they sell it a little bit cheaper to sell 10 times the product? Or if you've got the best thing going, do you mark it up and sell fewer, but we'll sell a, a, still a significant quantity because it's the new best thing. Uh, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, that price elasticity. I'm sure they're they're doing all kinds of valuations on on what that is. There's always sweet yeah. spots on those. Sure. Um, yeah, and and the the technology just changes so fast that yeah, if if you get if you launch a product and <clears throat> excuse me, if you launch a product and it's you know 25 35 percent higher than your competition, yeah, you're going to have fewer people buying it, and they're going to expect it to be 
a valuable investment for a longer period of time. But if it's so, so then you run the risk of, are you going to get yourself outdated because nobody wants to switch, you know, because of all the money they put into the product, they don't want to switch it. So that's interesting times in such a competitive industry right now. But I mean, one thing, mirrorless, even when they're sorry, mirrorless and or digital, still at the end are much much cheaper than having to buy rolls of film. <laughs> Over- for, the, for what you produce out of them, yeah. yes, yes, big time. So to conclude, then, just uh, I got off traffic ex- talk, talking about excite, exciting camera news, pending camera news. To wrap up on the question about the animal AI, it's, I mean, it's incredible technology, but not perfected yet. Is right. that what you guys would say? That's yep. definitely, I, I would definitely agree. And that's why, you know, in those high risk, high reward type situations, I'm not going to count on the camera to make the right decision. I'm always going to go back to the single point and put it where I want it. The one thing that I did want to clarify with Bronson's question is, um, so the way he asked it was, do you still use single point autofocus to anticipate or and anticipate the location of the animal's eye? I don't anticipate anything. I base where I put that single point on the direction that the animal's traveling. So if he's traveling left to right, I'm going to have it on the left third of the frame and, and probably on the lower third, depending on where his legs hit or how big they are in the frame, his or her. Um, but I'm composing with that single point. I'm not putting it in the center and then recomposing my shot because that animal's moving. And it's a dynamic situation. So I want to keep that point on the animal's head, face, eye, preferably, uh, throughout my shot or as I pan. Um, But I'm not using it predictively. I'm not putting it somewhere and then waiting for the animal to walk into it. I'm following them. You know, again, if they're moving right to left, same thing. I'm keeping it on the right-hand third of the frame and then giving them some space to to look into typically depending on the scenario but that's that's how i'm composing with it i'm not using it to try to predict where they're going to be and then letting them walk into it so i just wanted to clarify that even even with dslrs it's really hard to do that the it it can be done to predict but it's really hard because one you don't really know where that animal is going to go and you you just run the risk of that that sensor picking up or you know your camera picking up the background and now you you your plane of focus is just going to be off. Yeah. And that's that's where there's no difference. You know, in a situation like that, there's absolutely no difference. You're still using single point and you're still using the point, the focus point, and your placement of the focus point to compose your shot. Which is absolutely the same way we would do it. you do it with a DSLR. Well, yeah, and just to expand on that real quick, I mean, the only way you're going to do that is with back button focus, right? Where you can mm-hmm. <laughs> you can Sorry. focus on the animal and recompose, right? And and it's interesting over my time with this podcast and the experience I've had with the new mirrorless bodies and things of that nature, I've I've kind of gone away from the back button and I've gone back to you know having that shutter be my my uh, trigger for my my for my frames um, for my shutter, um, but and and the, and I don't use as I mentioned I don't use the back button 
for recomposing. I use it for with the, on the R5 to track, but I'm not, you know, I'm not taking my finger off of that. I'm using it to compose that way. So I'm either moving my point or I'm using the tracking. So something to think about. I mean, I've we've talked a lot about tracking on or um, back button focus on the show over the years. <laughs> and I think we've all I've, not all of us. I know I've gone different directions, tried different methodologies, and I think I'm coming back to the I like the way Mark and Ron and, you know, Micah use that. They don't use the back button. They use it for um they just compose with the focal point moving it around. So again, the only way you, the only re, the only way you could predict is if you were using back button, because then whenever you're whenever you're using the shutter, it's going to focus on whatever your wherever your point is. So you can't predict. Does that make sense? Yeah, you're rolling into another. This is a short and a half. Sorry. That. Yeah. Oh, it's good. <laughs> this is bonus bonus material, and I smiled when you brought it up because I was thinking about it, and I'm like, well, this could be a whole other short. And then I was trying to remember we've covered this on a on Wild and Exposed in depth a couple of times. I think yeah. once with with Chaz with Charles Gladser, I think. Yes. Yeah. On Wild and Exposed, the 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 shutter release button versus back button focus, and Chaz was the first Nampa podcast that we did too. So people should go back and listen to that. He's always entertaining and informative. But it's yeah, it's it's a debate that people enjoy getting into, whether it's <laughs> whether it's the shutter release button or back button. But I have I have always been the shutter release. I find it fast, and I like to be fast in the field for focus. <laughs> yeah. Well, Bronson, thank you very much for your question. That that definitely created a very great, very good conversation for us. So. So I hope that information was helpful for not only Bronson, but for everybody else out there listening. And we thank you for joining us for yet another episode of the Nature Photographer Podcast brought to you by NAMPA, the North American Nature Photography Association, and Wild and Exposed. If you're not familiar with NAMPA, I definitely recommend going out to nampa.org, check us out, see what we have to offer, and make sure you sign up for the Wild and Exposed Podcast to get their other episodes as well. And we'll catch you next time. Thank you very much.